We're all exposed. We're, we're like a chemical soup. And these are not the chemicals that make up human life. These are oftentimes synthetic chemicals uh, that shouldn't be there in the first place. Welcome to On the Mission with Norwex Learning Network. I'm Amy Kadora. I created this show to help raise awareness about issues that can impact our quality of life, including harmful chemicals, plastic pollution, and sustainability. We'll also explore the simple changes that you can make to improve you, your families, and the planet's health. I'm excited to bring you part one of my three-part podcast with Dr. Bruce Lanfear, Professor of Health Sciences at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia. He's also the principal investigator for a study on childhood exposures to toxic chemicals. Now, we recorded this at Leadership Conference 2021, and we discussed body burden and its impact, particularly on young children. Take a listen as Dr. Lanfear shares why he's so passionate about spreading awareness about this buildup of harmful chemicals in our bodies and the impact they can have, especially on our kids. So I am so excited um, and honored to be able to talk today with Dr. Bruce Lanfear, who has actually been a guest on our podcast series before, and I know everyone loved that podcast. Um, and really, he is a very strong advocate for children and the impact that environmental contaminants and pollutants can have on children. And a little bit of background on him, Dr. Lanfear is a clinical scientist and health science professor who studied for more than 20 years about the impact of brain toxins and the effect of toxic chemicals on public health. He is a clinician scientist at the Child and Family Research Institute, British Columbia's Children's Hospital, and also a professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, BC as well. Now, his primary goal is to help quantify and ultimately prevent disease and disability like asthma, learning problems, ADHD, that are due to exposures to environmental contaminants and pollutants. He's currently the principal investigator for a study examining fetal and early childhood exposures to prevalent environmental neurotoxins, including lead, pesticides, mercury, alcohol, PCBs, and environmental tobacco smoke. Now, over the last decade in particular, Dr. Lanfear has become increasingly frustrated by our inability to control the pandemic of consumption, the largely preventable worldwide epidemic of chronic disease and disability due to industrial pollutants, environmental contaminants, and excess consumption. He's leading an effort to produce videos, including Little Things Matter, the impact of toxic chemicals on the developing brain, to help enhance public understanding of how our health is inextricably linked with the health of the environment, which sounds very, very similar to what we at Norwex believe and what we talk about. So Dr. Lamper, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on to talk a little bit more about this important topic. Thank you for having me, Amy. Absolutely. Now, one of the things I was thinking about as we were putting this together was I was wondering, you know, was there a moment that you had an epiphany that this was an area that you wanted to go and, and learn and research more? Or was it something that over time you became increasingly, increasingly concerned about? I just I wondered how, that's, how this all came to be your passion for what you're doing right now. 
Yeah. It well, like most things, it was incremental. Um, even back when I was a 15 year old, I lived in Kenya with my with my parents uh, in a village, and I remember walking around and my mother talking about kids getting measles, and I wondered why they got measles because we had vaccines, right? Right. So that sort of set the stage. I I thought at that time I wanted to go back and vaccinate children in Africa. And I did start to get training in tropical medicine. And then something happened. I got married and it changed everything. So I ended up in Cincinnati and it's hard to do tropical medicine in Cincinnati. (laughs) Uh, Beyond that, even in my internship in Little Rock, um, I became close friends with two families of my patients. And their, their dads, these were veterans, uh, both had uh, cancer from smoking. And I'm watching them die. We can't do anything for them. And I'm realizing just how tragic this is because these are preventable diseases. And we're failing to prevent these preventable diseases. So it, it was really all of those experiences that sort of built up. And then finally, when I was in my postdoctoral training, um, it became clear that if I really wanted to help prevent disease, the one thing that would be really profound would be to prevent poverty. But that, that just felt overwhelming. But I thought if I could help prevent lead poisoning in children, I, I could at least take away that barrier for children to survive and thrive in, in our, our society today. So it really was kind of a series of things that led up to it rather than any one thing. Yeah, yeah, as it is for so many of us, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's, if you wouldn't mind, um, for our our viewers, let's talk a little bit about this concept of body burden because it's something that um, we've been talking about at Norwex. But just to help our audience understand what it is and and how it you know accumulates over time, just to give that that just by background, give them a little bit more info on body burden. Yeah, well, I, and I think maybe it's even useful to begin by comparing something like the coronavirus. Right? We worry about children and the rest of us being exposed to the coronavirus because once exposed, we can become infected. Well, it's really the same thing with these contaminants, these toxic chemicals. Through our food, through our breathing, through the house dust, we can be exposed to these toxic chemicals. Now, the one difference between most of these toxic chemicals, unless you get a really, really high dose is that you don't see an infection like you do with coronavirus over the next five or six days. It's the chronic exposures that accelerates the wear and tear on our bodies or damages the, the developing brain, right? Because if you, you can imagine the, the brain just over a few months goes from essentially nothing or one cell to billions of cells. And if you start damaging that by exposing the developing brain to toxic chemicals um, at that early stage, it can have big implications. And so the body burden really came, has really come about as a concern over the past four to five decades. Even when I was in training, we were taught that these low levels of exposures we have to chemicals like lead, they're, they're safe, they're innocuous, don't worry about them. 
And it's really just been in the past three decades that we've begun to recognize that this big assumption we made five or six decades ago, that there are thresholds or safe levels for these chemicals, and that we don't have to worry about the concentrations of contaminants we're exposed to on a regular basis. What we've seen with lead, with air pollution, with flame retardants like PBDEs, like mercury, like PCBs and tobacco, is that there does not appear to be thresholds or safe levels. And when we measure these contaminants in pregnant women and children, we can measure hundreds of them. We're all exposed. We're, we're like a chemical soup. And these are not the chemicals that make up human life. These are oftentimes synthetic chemicals uh, that shouldn't be there in the first place. Or even when they're elements like lead and mercury that have been there since time began, but we're exposed to so much more than our pre-industrial ancestors because of the industrial process. And so now what we've seen is we are, we are these chemical soups, and most of these chemicals have not been tested to find out whether they're toxic. That, in fact, is my job, and, and people like me. The problem with that, though, is that we only study them after they've been exposed. So after millions or billions of people have been exposed, we study them and say, well, that's not safe. But it's a terribly flawed way to do it because by default, that means people have already been harmed before we find out whether these chemicals are toxic. So it's almost as though it's a it's this great experiment that that we're doing. And, and you said something else that... You know, it's not only the individual chemicals that more often than not have not been really tested. We talk often about that chemical soup or that cocktail that's in the body. There's no question that that combination has never been tested to see what's that impact to human health on human health. That's right. There's only a few where we've looked at what we, we could call the joint effects or the synergistic effects, where, for example, like with tobacco and lead, uh, both of those are risk factors for ADHD. And if a child is prenatally exposed to tobacco, for example, they're two to two and a half times more likely to develop ADHD. If a child is exposed to higher levels of lead during childhood, they're also at about two to two and a half times more likely to develop ADHD. But those children that are exposed to both, they're over eight times more likely. So those two toxic chemicals acting together can magnify the impact of each other. So kids with high exposures to both of those one in four of those children met criteria for ADHD. And to give you an impact of what that means on a national scale, we found that one out of three kids who have ADHD in the United States had ADHD because of exposures to one or the other or both of those toxic chemicals. Now, if you can imagine for a moment, if I, if I developed a vaccine or a drug that could prevent one out of three cases of ADHD, I'd be a multimillionaire. We got a little bit of scholarly attention, but not much more. And so the way we treat these toxic chemicals in terms of taking action, developing legislation, investing to protect children is by far quite trivial compared to many other diseases. And the problem is, while the social benefits are huge, if we would actually act and reduce these exposures, it's hard to privatize those benefits. Right. And since the health system 
or the medical system, I should say, because it really isn't a health system in the United States. The medical system is set up based on the free market. Nobody acts, including our government, until there's a way to profit from it, until there's a way to privatize those benefits. That's a, yeah, totally agree with you. And certainly an ongoing argument. And, and you know, I was, I was doing the math as you were talking. It, it's essentially what we're saying is that two plus two does not equal four when you're talking about this chemical experiment that we're undergoing. Two plus two equals eight, and it may even equal 10 or 12 down the road. Absolutely. And we have a number of examples like that. If you're exposed to both arsenic and tobacco, your risk of developing cancer over years is, can be as high as 25 times. And this is not a new concept. Rachel Carson talked about this and so many other things 60 years ago when she published her book, Silent Spring. And many of the things that she said then were really prophetic. We're, we've learned that what she said and what was dismissed by so many scientists of her day uh, were accurate, were right on target. Right. Yeah, if, if, if you haven't had a chance to read uh, Rachel Carson's book, there's actually also a, a documentary on her. It's, it's extraordinary what she faced and how she stood up and, uh, and was probably one of the first key people to make us aware and more conscious of these issues. So definitely a leading figure there. Yeah. Um, what, you know, as you're looking at these, the host of chemicals, and I know you just mentioned some, what are the chemicals, the harmful chemicals that you're most concerned about right now, um, in particular relative to their impacts on children? Has that changed over the, the, the years or has it stayed fairly consistent? Well, one of the things to recognize is, is epidemiologists, people like me, are very uh, skeptical. Um, one of the easiest ways to make epidemiologists squirm is to ask whether something causes something else. Um, and, and, and we've been, that kind of thinking has been fostered by industry, right? Because if, if the work we do is uncertain, then industry doesn't have to, to take a product off the market or government doesn't have to regulate it. So I would say that the chemicals that we're most concerned about, let's talk about it from the standpoint of brain-based disorders right now. So like ADHD and autism. Um, one way to think about it is where have the scientists uh, agreed on those toxic chemicals that are most important? So for brain-based disorders, we could look at what Project Tender has been doing. And we came up with um, the following chemicals of particular concern. Air pollution, uh, lead, PBDEs, which are a type of flame retardant, uh, organophosphate pesticides, and phthalates. Um, we could add to that um, some other chemicals, but that's a good place to start. And what those all have in common is that we have good evidence, sufficient evidence to say that they are toxic to the developing brain. The exposures are widespread. This is not just one community that's being exposed. It's virtually all of us around the world, all children and all pregnant women around the world. So I think that's a good place to start when we think about children. We could come up with other lists for adults, for workers, and so on. But that's, that's a good place to start. And, and many of those are those persistent compounds, those, right, the persistent compounds that stay with us for long, very long periods of time. Several of them are. And, you know, there was some benefit to moving to these non-persistent chemicals. And I think that was one of the real uh, takeaways from Rachel Carson's work uh, 
because it really did force us to move away from persistent chemicals like DDT. Right. Um, we haven't done that completely. We've got these new forever chemicals, the, the PFAS chemicals, uh, but there was a general shift. But it didn't solve the problem because we moved, for example, from DDT to organophosphate pesticides to control insects and pests. And because we're exposed every day to organophosphate pesticides, whether it's in our diet or in the house dust for children or in our gardens, that they essentially act like they're persistent. The exposures are chronic uh, and we don't get breaks for them. And that's really where we worry about these toxic chemicals. It's in the constant uh, exposures and constant wear and tear that they lead to. Right. The barrage, I guess, if you will, on the, yes. on the human body and the accumulation. You know, one of the things I remember is when <clears throat> BPA, this would have been, well, see, my son is 17. So at 17 years ago, um, I was certainly aware of BPA and in baby bottles and using glass bottles, actually, for um, for babies at that point. But we also know, to your point, that when we replace BPA with, say, a BPS, um, we don't know that it's not as bad, in fact, as BPA, but maybe in a different way, right? So those replacements, just as you're saying, are not always better. Thanks for listening to part one of my three-part series with Dr. Bruce Lanfear on Body Burden. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to share with friends and family, and don't forget to follow and subscribe. <laughs>